This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, Love Causes Change. This is the third message in the series, Unlearning Religion. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So glad you're with us today across the campuses online. And how's the 11 o'clock crowd doing today? Yeah, ready to get this done? Let, let, me, let me start this way. I'm not going to change. That's what I told my brother Randy. My older brother Randy, years ago, when he had three young kids, and Marsh and I had none. <laughs> and they would come over to our house, and, and we're supposed to have like a whole evening of, of dinner and then play games together and, and, and really enjoy ourselves. And literally, before we even finish the first game, Randy says, well, we got to get the kids together and go home. I'm like, dude, you have gone from fun brother to boring brother. Your kids just run your life. I'm going to tell you what, when I have kids, I'm not going to change. In fact, when they left, I told Marsha, I know we're going to have kids someday. God, God bless us kids. But I'm telling you this, when we have kids, they are not going to run our lives and ruin our lives. I'm not going to change. Get it off your chest. Go ahead. Just Because we all know what happened. We had kids. And we changed. I changed. But listen, here's what I didn't see coming. Why I changed. See, I, see, I experienced a love for my kids that I, I never knew existed. I mean, I experienced a father's love over my children and so that love made me want to change. Let me say this. Love makes you change. In fact, you ought to write that down. Put that at yeah, the top of your notes. I'll, I'll help you. I'll do the same thing. I'll write it down. L love, write, write it down. Put it somewhere at the top of your notes. Love makes you what church? Oh, my goodness. That is so powerful when you learn that. And you know it's true. Love makes you change. 16 months ago, my first grandchild was born to Josh, my eldest, his wife, Christina, a little girl, Breland. Oh, my gracious sakes, does grandpa love Breland? She's amazing. And, and I was, yeah, I got conversations early on, like, what are you going to be called? And friends and family, I mean, this is like an ongoing dialogue from a bunch of people. Like, what, are, what is she going to call you? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, we got to pick something for her. I said, Candyman. Because I'm going to sugar her up and send her home. I'm going to be yes, grandpa, and, she, and they're going to be the no parents. I mean, and I'm, I'm not joking. I'm Candyman. And everybody said, like, you can't call. You can't be Candyman because she won't be able to say it. I said, I don't care. It ain't changing. It's going to be Candyman. <laughs> then about two months ago, uh, my kids uh, brought her over. And, and Breland came in the house, came downstairs. And, I'm, I'm, and from a distance, I'm like, oh, Breland, grandpa, can't wait to see you. And, and she looked at me and through me. Because behind was, was Marsha. And she saw Marsha and she went, Nana. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. I need a name she can pronounce. We're going to change immediately. 
She doesn't even have a name for me. Josh, I want a name. Give me a name that she can say because I'm not ever having that happen again. He said, well, we came up with one. Papa. Papa it is. I am Papa from now on. Can she say Papa? He says, I think so. Call me Papa. Tells us the whole night. So the whole night, Josh is whispering in her ear, Papa, and pointing to me. Until finally, by the end of the night, I'm Papa. Now what's entertaining about it is, from then on, every time she said Papa, she said it in whisper tones. So it was, Papa. So she'd say, Nana, Papa. Now I know deep down what was going on. It wasn't because Josh whispered it. It's because already she understood the Godfather reverence of Papa. That's really what was happening. So she's having to learn everybody's names, and it's highly entertaining, lots of fun, and, but she can't say them all. And like Julissa, Aunt Julissa, our, our daughter Julissa, well, she can't say Julissa. Actually, we call her Juby. That's her family name, so it's Aunt Juby. And, and she can't say it. So when she hears Juby, she hears the B and then the, the J, so it's Bajee. But it's still entertaining. In fact, last week, uh, Julissa, Juby had her, her birthday. We celebrated. And, and Breland sent her a video, happy birthday. It is so adorable. Yes, I'm a grandpa, and you're going to have to watch it. But it's worth it. Check it out. Say happy. Happy. Birth. Birthday. Yeah. Aunt. Juby. Juby. Happy birthday, Aunt Juby. She's adorable. I don't care who you are. She's adorable. And and, and so we not only celebrated Julissa's birthday, but we celebrated something else together. If you look on the screen, this is a picture of my daughter Julissa, her husband Kevin. And that right there is the ultrasound of the baby that is due. Her first child this April 30th. I'm going to be a grandpa again. Number two, grandchild number two for Marsh and I. We're all excited. We're celebrating. And guess what? I'm going to fall in love with that grandchild as well. I'm going to be papa. (laughs) And I'm going to change. Because love makes you what? Can I tell you something? If you're single, you can be all about yourself. You know that. But you start dating somebody. And the more you care for that person, and the more you love them, the more you'll change. When you get married, if you're truly in love, you'll change. That's what family does. Love makes you change. And the most change I've ever made in my life is to follow Jesus. And I'm still changing. Because when the love of God comes into your life, it is so powerfully transforming that you love him back. And when you love God, you want to change. You want to be like him. That brings us to week three of this judge not conversation from this Sermon on the Mount. Grab your Bibles here across campuses and turn over to page 791, page 791, or I'm sorry, 971, 971 in your worship center Bibles, 971 uh, is the page, it's Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look back at where, where we've been, and uh, if, if you're in a mobile device, it's, page, uh, uh, or it's uh, Matthew 7, we'll start with uh, verse 1, 2, 3, move on. In fact, you know what, let me, while you're turning there, why don't I catch us up? Well, I'm where we've been. Let's do a little rewind. 
Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is not trying to merely inform. He doesn't want you to win Bible trivia, okay? He wants you to be transformed. Not informed, but what? Transformed. In other words, your life is going to become different. Not merely that you would know the laws that came from Moses, but that you would know the life of love. The whole point of it is that you would know the love of God. The love of God would transform you from the inside out, and you would know love in your relationships. You would love God and love one another differently. Your life would be new. And in order for that to occur, you've got to unlearn what the Pharisees have taught. You've got to unlearn religion in order to relearn love. And so we use this kind of high jump as an illustration over this series. And the Pharisees, here's what they did. The Pharisees took this, um, the bar of righteousness that Jesus set, and they raised the bar. Say it with me. They what? And they moved it from righteous to religious. Now you have to go back on the teaching a couple weeks ago and last week to catch up on this. And what they would do is then they would stand there and say, well, y'all jump over. And of course, nobody can clear that bar. Because the height of God's holiness is already over our head. And then it goes further up when you add rules and make it more religion. And, and of course, the Pharisees weren't even clearing the bar either. Jesus said, no, you can't even follow the Pharisees because they don't even jump over it. They limbo under it. And, and the Pharisees have this judgmental disposition, this condemning critical spirit. And Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't judge. That's the Pharisees. They raise the bar. But, but there's another group, and the other group is the world that we live in. And the world removes the bar. Say it, church. What does the world do? They remove the bar. They sit down and say, well, there is no bar. And so there is no standard of truth. So y'all can just kind of walk through it anytime you want. No big deal. You set the bar. You're the author of what's right versus wrong, good versus bad. It's all, you, you just, you're the author of it. Whatever feels good, do it. And you know, that always sounds good. It just doesn't live good. And it blows up your life and it blows up your relationships. And then Jesus puts the bar back. He says, no, no, listen, listen. There is truth. Righteousness. And in this is life. And then in his love for us, he lifts us over the bar. Thanks be to God for his amazing love. He lifts us over the bar. So the church is not a whole bunch of self-righteous people. It's a bunch of people who can't make it over the bar. But by the love of God, he lifts us over the bar. So we look at the rest of the world. We say, man, we're right here with you. And any righteousness is God in us. And so we don't judge you. We invite you to, to, to meet Jesus. And so Jesus is now teaching this Sermon on the Mount. And he says, don't judge. Don't have a critical, condemning, self-righteous spirit. Then he talks about getting the plank and the, the sawdust out of your eye. And then he gets to verse 6. Isn't that interesting? Look at it. Chapter 7, verse 6 of Matthew. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Weird. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm glad you've asked. And I'm going to answer it but I can't answer it right away. I want to answer it after you understand what follows. So we're going to have to explain what follows and then come back to verse 6. See, because in verse 7, he tells us to pray. Ask, seek, and knock. And look at verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Catch this. If you try and be loving good parents and you change for your kids out of love for them, and you call yourself good, in comparison to God, you're not good. You're, you're evil at best. God's ultimate good. So, so he's saying, so in comparison, then if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You ready? Experience and engage the love of your heavenly Father. That's who he is and how he interacts. And when you experience his love, he transforms you. And then verse 12, so in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, once you experience the love of God, you will love other people differently. See, God's love changes you. And now, now, you have the love of God. And love makes you change. And you now treat everybody else differently. And you need to understand this context before we can get back up to verse 6 and know this judging question. So... There's a couple of things. I put them in your notes. And the first lesson from verses 6 to 12 is this. When you come to faith in Jesus, you don't change the bar, you change yourself. Ooh. Ooh, we got to soak on that. Look at it. When you come to faith in Jesus, you don't change the what? Bar. You change what? Yourself. Oh, I, I, I don't want to rush this. I want us to soak in this. Because it's at the core of trusting Jesus. Let me layer it so that we can kind of get into the depth of this thought. See, he's talking about your heavenly father and his love for you. See, the only way you can come to faith in God through Jesus and trust Jesus is once you discover how much God loves you. And God loves you extravagantly. God loves you how? Extravagantly. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 15. There's a father who raises a couple of sons, and the youngest son says to his father, you know what, I, I love your money, but I don't love your morals. I just want your stuff, and I'm going to go live my way. I, I'm, I, I no longer want your will in my life, I want my will. So he walks away from his father, he takes his father's resources, and he says, I'm going to go do, live my own way. I love my morals, kind of removes the bar, and says, I'll do it my way. In that, he bankrupts himself. Here's what, in other words, you always do. You always end up relationally bankrupt, morally bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt. Your soul becomes empty. The more you get of what you chase in this world as the end and of itself, the more empty you experience it over time. In fact, the son not only became bankrupt in all those ways, but, but he became bankrupt financially. He's kind of lost everything. And now with an empty life, he's feeding pigs. And he realizes the life my dad was offering me was so much better than the life I have. I was a fool. And he comes to his senses. And he says, I'll go back to my father. And I don't have a right to be a son. But I'll ask for forgiveness and I'll see if I can be a servant. And he goes back home. Now listen, everybody in the Eastern culture knows what's going to happen. As Jesus tells the story, they know that when the son comes home, the father's going to be emotionally distant, and the son's going to have to earn his way back, even if there's a shot. So when Jesus says, the father sees the son coming, and he runs to the son, he embraces him, the son confesses, and says, I'm not worthy to be your son, just let me be a servant, and the father restores him his sonship, everybody, their mind is blown. They don't even understand that kind of a father. 
And Jesus says, that's who your heavenly father is. He loves you how? Extravagantly. How, church? Extravagantly. And once you've received that kind of love, it changes you and it changes the way you love. But first it changes you. That's what happened to Andy. A couple weeks ago, I met Andy. Came up after the service and we were chatting. And, and, and then I, I learned about his story. He grew up in a Jewish family. Non, he was non-practicing and God was irrelevant in his life. And then he came here roughly a year ago or so and, and, and engaged the questions of Jesus and, and the questions about truth and what is true in life and what, and what isn't. Had his own kind of experience of going his own way and, and, and then wondering, is, is, is there any way back? Is there any truth? Is there any real life in all this? And, and last Easter, uh, prayed to receive Jesus and, and became a follower of Christ. And, and then sometime later uh, this year, we passed, recently re- celebrated his baptism. And, and I want to tell you why I'm giving this story, but I want you to take a moment to celebrate his baptism. There's always, always a worthy celebration. Watch this. And I love the changes that have been going on in his life. He said, my family is shocked that I'm here doing this today. He said, since this, he goes, man, I, I had a, a lady I know at the grocery store at Publix that's, that just saw him one day and asked him, man, you seem different. Why are you so happy? And he began to talk about what Jesus has been doing in his life. And he said, she's ended up coming to 12 Stone at the 6 p.m. service because of him sharing that. It's awesome. And so, Andy, we just celebrate, man, what God is doing in your life. I remember we sat across that cup of coffee and just getting to look at you and say, our church exists for people like you, man. People who said, I thought God was irrelevant in my life, but when I had questions, I knew where to turn. And I think, man, we pray for God to do life change stories like he's done in you. And so we celebrate that today in your life, man. And I have just two questions for you. Do you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes, sir. And do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Not soon enough. Not soon enough is a good answer, my friend. Well, then it's my honor to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we celebrate that. And that's an awesome thing, and you may see Andy hanging around here, but, but here's why I bring it up. He, when he came up to me a couple weeks ago, he said, listen, uh, PK, I... I want to go on a missions trip. Now, keep listening. He said, I want to go on a missions trip. God's changed my life. But listen, he said, but I'm not ready. He said, there are things that God wants to change in me before I'm ready. And I'm working on those changes. And I I wanted to just applaud him. I mean, I stood there. I just wanted to start applauding him. He didn't even know it. Because he's saying, listen, God's changed me. But I know that I'm growing up. To be the person God created me to be. And listen, I'm not dropping the bar. I'm not changing the bar. God's helping me change myself. I'm like, that fast, he already got it. That is awesome because that's what it means. When God changes you, you begin to change. You don't change the bar. When you come to faith in Jesus, that's not permission to to lower the bar, change the bar. That's the invitation because you love God to, to become like him. See, remember Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Take this in. Listen, people, take this in. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You don't have to love me. Jesus didn't demand that you love him. You don't have to love him. But if you say you love him, the evidence, you keep his commandments. See, you don't change the bar. You change yourself. But when we, when we come back here and 
talk about this, this, this bar of truth. We, we, don't, we don't move it down and say, see, now because of the love of God, I have permission to lower the bar. That's just what grace does. No, it doesn't. No, no, grace forgives you and gives you the power of God to change yourself, to rise up to righteousness and the bar and the love of God. And let me say it this way. If you've come to faith in Jesus and it hasn't cost you anything, if you've come to faith in Jesus and there's no significant change in your life, no changes going on, you're not changing to become more like him, you have reason to wonder if you ever did come to Jesus. You have reason to wonder if you really do love him. Because Jesus said, if you would come after me, if you would be my disciple, you must deny. What's the word? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. There is a death to self. We don't bring the standards of the culture into Christianity. We, we are transformed because the love of God changes us and we want to change and be like him. And he set the bar of truth. And so really this bar is love. And, and, and listen, when you love God, you'll demonstrate it in action. Love is an action. A couple months ago, I was uh, at a ministry thing in, in, out of state, and, and a, a, a guy, a friend of mine, who I hadn't seen in a couple years, uh, was talking. He said, man, I've listened to a lot of your stuff o- 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 over time. He said, but the one, thi- one of the things that stands out is like, do you want to know the thing I remember most about anything I've ever heard you teach? I'm like, okay, what is it? He said, the bagel story. The bagel story. I'm like, really? That's it? And I know why. Because the bagel story is about the law of love. The law of what, church? The law of love. It's this bar right here. See, Jesus is teaching that the law and the prophets is all about love. And the law of love is give more than you take. Jot that down if you don't know what the law of love. The law of love is give more than you take. The law of selfishness is take more than you give. That's the difference between the two. And you're always in tension between which one you're going to live. This right here, Jesus set the bar at the law of love. That's what the law is. And when Jesus did this, he spoke the truth. And by the way, Jesus doesn't merely teach the truth. Jesus is the truth. Look on the screen. I want everyone across all the campuses, online, all of you right here with me. I want you to read. John 14 with me. Everybody loud and proud. You ready? It's right there in front of you. Here we go. Let's read together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus says, I am the truth. He doesn't merely tell the truth. He says, I am the truth. Jesus doesn't merely love. He is love. And so we don't lower the bar because anything lower than the bar is less life. And and we are seeking to change our lives to love like he loves. That's the bar. You don't lower that. That's just selfishness. I want to live by the bar. I I want to grow to love like he loves. Hence the bagel story. Back when Marsh and I were going to the workout club together, we'd stop by Einstein Bagel on the way. And we would order a ham, egg, and cheese bagel, and we would split that. And then we would order a cinnamon bagel. 
with honey almond schmear. Can you hear the angels? I can hear them already. It's as glorious as you're imagining. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's clearly descended from heaven. And, and we have them split it. And we share that. And, and then we go sit down. And when we sit down, we wait for our name to be called. And, then I, and, and because I talked last week, if you're here last week, and go back and get this teaching if you miss it, that, that, that the new words in marriage for me are to, to serve and to sacrifice. So when they call our name, I'm like, honey, I've got it. Every time I get up, I go get it. And, and, and I go to the counter, and I can't help it. I don't even need to think about it. I don't make myself do this. It just happens. I look at the cinnamon bagel, and I can see that nobody can ever cut something properly in half. Because there's always one bigger, better half. Always. And my eyes see it. That's the bigger, better half. That's the one I want. And I have to move from the counter to the table. And on the way, I make a decision. Shall I live by the law of love and give my wife the better half of the bagel? Or shall I do what I really want and out of grace give her the smaller half and I'll take the better half? And by the way, that decision's being made in life all the time by you and I in every situation. And so I just, quite, I don't say a word. She's never knew about this until I ever said anything. I just take the bigger, better half of the bagel I put it on her plate with trembles. <sighs> and I take the worthless smaller. I want to say, did you notice? Yours is bigger, better. I want credit for that. Okay? I just, I want credit. Mark it down. You owe me. Okay? I, and I never, but I want to. And I just quietly set it aside and I eat my minuscule <laughs> lesser. Hey, you know why? Because love is more devotion than emotion. And if I really love her, I'll demonstrate it in action. Because love makes you change. You know 90% of marriage counseling would be solved if you could just give your spouse the bigger, better half of the bagel. Yeah? Yeah? The majority of what's broke in marriage counseling is two people trying to get the other person to willingly give the big. If you would just quit being so selfish, I would love you. Really? That, that, so, both, so, so if all you can see is that your partner is selfish, your spouse is selfish, I'll be, what do you, and that's in families and that's in coworkers and by the way, that's in the church. I mean, in your world, you give more than you take. You live by the law of love or you take more than you give. That's pretty much it. And where does all this come from? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Treat one another as you want to be treated. And people say, start with others. No, no, no. No, that's not what it says. Jesus does not say, start with others. I hear people say that all the time. You got to start with others. No, you don't. You have to start with yourself. Jesus says, treat others as you, treat, as you want to be treated, which means you have to start with yourself, which means you start at the counter. You always start with yourself. You start at the counter because that's the person you love most, and you have to stop that. So you're at the counter, and you have to start with yourself, and you have to end with the other person. But you start with yourself. You get to the counter, you look at the bagel, and you're like, I know which one I want. If I loved me, I would take that half. Now that I know what I want, 
between the counter and the table, I choose whether or not I'm going to be selfless or selfish. But I start with me and I have to end with them. So you start with yourself. What do you love? And then you end with them. And that's how you treat people. This would transform our lives. It's so simple to say and so incredibly hard to do. That is changing to become like Jesus. See, God loves us better than we deserve. God gives more than he takes. And God invites us to become like him. So that's why we say, when you come to faith in Jesus, you don't change the bar. You change who? Yourself. Who? Yourself. Now we can go back to verse 6. Now we're going right back up to verse 6, okay? Now we go back up to verse 6. And now we can unpack verse 6. So in light of how God loves us, in light of not judging in verse 1, verse 6 he says, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is he talking about? Ready? Once you understand that there is truth and you want to change to the bar, not change the bar. Now... You become all about discerning. You have to discern the truth. You have to what the truth? Discern the truth. In other words, you now spend the rest of your life asking yourself, where's the bar? You know which bar I mean, by the way. (laughs) Where's the bar? Where's the standard? Some of you are like, dude, I love this church. Where's the bar? No, You have no idea what goes through my mind that I never say. So like I've never said that in any service. But I think it every time I say it. So where's the bar? See, you have to, because look, you're trying to figure out in life where God set the bar because that's where the truth is and that's where life is. Your goal now, once you become a Christian, is to simultaneously agree that I don't judge. I don't have a self-righteous, critical spirit toward others. But simultaneously, I do discern. Listen, if Jesus had taught us in the first couple of verses, don't judge, we would have, and not said anything else, we would have been so bent on not judging that we would have lost the truth. And we would spend our lives in a culture and a world that doesn't even know the truth. If Jesus had only taught us about the truth, when you become discerning about the truth, there's a tendency to become judgmental toward others. So he's telling us, don't judge, do discern. In other words, later on in chapter 7, he tells us there are false teachers and false disciples. How are you going to discern false teachers and false disciples if you don't have some capacity to judge rightly between what is true and what is not true. There are false teachers, people who come to you who are wolves in sheep's clothing. If you don't make some level of judgment, how are you going to know the difference? How are you going to know? You have to exercise discernment. There are people who say, oh, I'm a Christian. And he talks about false disciples. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, enters into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Ah. So you're not a Christian just because you say you are? Well, of course not. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. 
Well, that's judgmental. No, that's discerning. He tells you you have to be discerning. And verse 6 is about discernment. What you need to know is that there is such a thing as sacred truth, holy truth, pearls of wisdom. Do not live in this world as if there's no truth. There is truth. And it's separate from the lies. See, discernment is distinguishing between truth and lies. Discernment is distinguishing between truth and lies. And Satan is the father of lies. The father of what? Lies. And when the world lives by Satan's lead, they buy into the lie and they don't think they are. But you as a follower of Christ, now you're discerning and you're trying to figure out what is a lie and what is the truth. And so you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out where's the truth. Where has God set the bar of truth? Because otherwise you live your life by a lie and you lose. And when Jesus talks about dogs and pigs, what's he saying? Well, first of all, when he talks about dogs, dogs in that day were not domesticated pets like ours. They were scavengers. They lived on the outskirts of the city. And so he says, when you offer a sacrifice to God, which would have been appropriate back in the day, you offer an animal sacrifice that's on the altar, you wouldn't take that meat, which is now sacred and holy, and throw it to dogs. Because that would be taking something that is sacred and throw it to something that's dirty and not sacred, and that would really make that offering sacrilege. You, you, you would never do that. And they're like, well, of course you wouldn't. And you would never take pearls, like the most valuable jewels in that day, or like saying, I have a diamond necklace, and throw it to a pig. Well, of course not. A pig can't discern between pearls and, and, and pig slop. They would just like, hey, you didn't give me anything good to eat. I'm going to trample you. Don't take the deep truths of God's word and throw them at people in the world who don't even know God because they can't process it because they don't understand it. And they will see you as judging them, not helping them. And they'll turn on you. There are deeper things in the kingdom of God you can never discuss with an unbeliever. And you have to be discerning what you can and cannot discuss. When I hear Christians processing deep spiritual truths, trying to pass it on to somebody who's not even a follower of Christ, of course it doesn't make any sense. Now, by the way, stop. Does that mean that you don't witness the people who are far from Christ? Well, of course not. He already said in Matthew chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Does that mean Andy shouldn't talk to the lady at Publix about Jesus changing his life? Well, no, we're supposed to. But let your light shine. Live in such a way that they're drawn to the light. Now, there's a lot more to say that we don't have time for, but I have a wrestling, and so I'm going to give it to you. It's in your notes. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's a lesson I think, I, I wrestle with this. I'm not even declaring it as an absolute, I'm just, I'm wrestling with it. What if, what if, here it is. Don't expect the world to change to God's laws before they have been changed by God's love. Oh, come on now, wrestle with me. Don't expect the world to change to God's laws. Don't expect the world to, to get all of God's moral laws and follow them before they've been changed by God's love. Look, I'm wrestling with it. I, I wonder, is it, I, I wrote some of this out. I want you to hear it. Is it really wise for the church to lead with God's moral laws? Is it really wise for us as a church to run around and tell the world, here's all of God's laws. List them. Here's all the moral laws. And you better adjust your life to God's moral laws. It, it could, could the world really absorb all that? Could, 
Could, should the church lead with God's laws before people have been changed by God's love? I mean, does it really make any sense to a fallen world? Look, I know I'm going to be misunderstood. I know this is going to be misinterpreted. I know this is going to be abused. I can't stop it, but we got to have the conversation. I'm just not convinced the role of the church is to run around the world and tell everybody how to live before they've experienced God's love. Let me say it differently. Morally speaking, we can't expect redeemed behavior from unredeemed people. I'm, st I'm just talking to Christians. Let me keep talking. Sometimes I wonder if we give ourselves so much grace in the church that we never become the light and so much grief to the world that they never see God's love. Look, I'm not saying as an American you can't stand up as a citizen to declare what you believe. I'm saying I don't think the first thing we do as Christians is give the world all of God's laws because it's a fallen world and it doesn't make sense. And maybe we should lead with the big law, the law of love. The law of what? Maybe if we would give more than we take, the world might be drawn. Maybe if we got better. I'm not, I'm not indicting anybody. I'm talking to myself. In fact, here's how I wrote it in my notes, and I hesitate to say it, but I'll just read it. Maybe I'm suggesting we shine the light rather than shove it down their throat. Okay, I probably shouldn't have said that, but that's <laughs> perhaps, you know, maybe just again, don't misinterpret this. It, it, it's, it, it, you can go the wrong way and miss it. Maybe we need to Q&A this when we do the, uh, the dialogue next week for the, for the town hall. Maybe you, you want to like send in some questions and say, okay, hold it, I extrapolate, uh, extrapolate that, I apply that, uh, get, explain that to me, because this is challenging between judging and discerning. And send your questions at 12stone.com slash ask, and we'll, we'll bring those into the, the queue. So do that today when, when you get home. Anyhow, all of that, all, uh, now let me get to it. One of the ways, so we got to shine our light. One of the ways we shine our light is, is by the way that we love and give ourselves away, and I... We've done this thing for the last few years as a church. You know that, that shoebox thing that we get at Christmas? Um, and I buy into it, but I can tell you I have been changed recently. Uh, for the first time in my life, uh, I went on a missions trip to Columbia to give those boxes away, our boxes. And I got to put those in the hands of kids. It still gets me. And it was some of the most poverty-stricken kids in circumstances I couldn't imagine living in who have never heard of the love of Jesus. And our boxes are being used to represent an undeserved gift, to illustrate God giving the undeserved gift of Jesus. And I realize it's not a box, it's a child. And that that box is a go box, geo gospel opportunity. And I've been changed. I came back, I'm like, this isn't a project. This is a passion. Uh, we get to be a part of changing the lives of kids. I wasn't the only one. I want you to listen to, to Lonnie and David as they tell their story. Maybe it'll make more sense. Listen. In our first stop, I really wanted to connect 
a box and a family that donated that box to Gwinnett County and to our church and all of our campuses. So much so that anytime a, a note showed up in a box, which is something we never did in any of our boxes, but as soon as we heard that, we thought that would be so cool to be able to connect that with somebody at home be able to show them where those boxes landed. So I think about halfway through, I'd taken three or four pictures. We we're making sure we were getting, you know, the kids in there and then the notes, and uh, and then we had a moment. Because never did we think that we would find our own box, yeah. and it's and it's it, it's it, it obviously emotional. We were just so blessed by God uh, to be able to see a box open that we prepared, that my wife really prepared, to be able to see the face of that child be so happy and to be able to, to be in that moment was awesome. And he was just having a ball. He pumped the ball up right away. He was playing with the ball, but he never let go of those letters. And he was just having a ball. It's more than a box. You know, I've heard the team here talk about a go box a gospel opportunity and it's just the vehicle but it's it's an important part of the journey it's what we can do to support and partner with the ministries and the people that live in this every day and then uh, to see somebody hear the Word of God and hear about Jesus for the first time was uh, I think something I've taken for granted and uh, it's very special so for me it's this is more than a box and uh, I'm really excited to continue to partner with Samaritan's Purse and keep it going. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So I don't know if it lands in your heart that way, but I hope you get this. Love makes you change. Love makes you what? Man, I hope that, that this is one of the ways we get to shine our light as a church. And that maybe God inspires in you uh, what it means for you to go shine your light uh, to the world around you. And I wrote myself a challenge. Maybe it helps you, challenges you, maybe not. It's just simple. Here it is. I'll read it, but I wrote it for myself. Kevin, step up to the truth of Jesus. And step back from expecting the world to be like Jesus. <laughs> and maybe if I get better at shining my light, maybe that would be more drawing to the world around us. So I want you to bow your heads with me and let him pray over us. God, these are such simply profound things. And you made us for so much more. And you love us so extravagantly. And I know there are some among us right now here today who are still processing. They don't know if they believe you love them like that. They've been judged so often that they don't, they don't know how great your compassion, how quick you would forgive and restore. Draw them to you. God, would you land this, uh, the depth of your love in our hearts today at a new level? Might you awaken us, maybe right now, all of us who have the courage would say, God, am, am, am I taking the better half of the bagel in my marriage? Have I become more selfish than I know? God, help me see myself in, in my marriage. Do I just keep looking at my spouse and calling them selfish when I am? 
God, would you teach me how to give my spouse the better half of the bagel? If both of us did that, we might have a new marriage. God, is that what's going on with my siblings and with my parents as a student? Am I just taking more than I give? Do I, do I need to grow up to the bar, the standard of love? God, is that what we're doing? Do I come to church and take more than I give? Am I just about coming in here and making sure everybody takes care of me? Am I, God, have I become a selfish follower of you? Am I doing that in the world? Is that why it's breaking down with my coworkers? God, right now, any who would ask, would you reveal to us where we're standing at the counter and taking the, 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 the big half of the bagel and, and we take more than we give? And God, would you move us to be give more than we take kind of people? And let your love so transform us that your love makes us change. Could we have different marriages starting tonight, this week, and families and relationships and unlearn religion and learn how to love? And could you even help us in this new season? As we come into Christmas, God, this, this is not a box, it's a child. Maybe we could be a part of changing the lives of thousands of kids and let your light shine. Stir in us your love and then help us to love like you love. And everyone agreed in Jesus' name saying, amen. amen.